Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Am I on? I'm, I'm on. Good. Well, I want to brag on TWBC real quick. Hey, guys, last week was Easter Sunday, and we know that we get a good crowd in, but um, we, we wanted to set out something in front of, of our church family to say, hey, go invite somebody to church. Because there's nothing more that important to a person than a personal invite. It's easier for me to go ahead and come to you and shake your hand and say, hey, why don't you join me this week? Hey, we had over 1,300 people come through the doors of TWBC last Sunday. Isn't that amazing? Now, it doesn't matter uh, the amount of people who are in this um, uh, facility and, and, and filling the seats, uh, but the, the thing that's so important I want everybody to understand is if one soul is touched, one soul is brought to Christ. It's not about building TWBC as a big church. It's about building what God has done and wanting to do in this area. We have taken charge over this four-state region, and we want to make a change in this area. We want to make a difference in this area. We want TWBC, we want the church as a whole to be necessary in this area. If we disappeared tomorrow, would the church be missed? That's what we want to change here at the Way Bible Church and, and, and all the churches in this area. So give yourselves a hand for, it, for that. What an amazing job you guys did. As you have heard, Pastor Joel is recovering from his surgery. Uh, I was wondering what was going to slow him down because that man is like a freight train. He runs and runs and runs and runs and runs. And, and usually as a staff, we're behind him trying to cover the, the seeds up that he's plowing. But thank God for a visionary that we have here at the Way Bible Church. He truly sees five, ten years ahead, and really his heart is for people here at the Way Bible Church. Uh, we are in the series Flip-Flop. Uh, if you could turn your Bibles to John 2, and also put your finger at Exodus 6, uh, verses 6 and 7. Well, we're going we're gonna to kind of go through the scriptures, and I'm, I want you guys to see uh, there, there's something where we're going to try to pull some out uh, of the scriptures today. Uh, and this is a very familiar text. Uh, even the unchurched, the unsaved, people who have never been to church before knows this text. I heard a joke that said there was a student. He was leaving a party. He had a glass of wine in his cup holder. He got pulled over by the police. Police come to the door and knocked on the window. And he rolled his window down, and they were talking. He said, man, what is that in your cup holder? He said, a glass of water. <laughs> the officer said, no. Let me, let me, give me that. Let me smell that. He took the glass and smelled. He said, man, this is wine. And the student said, man, he did it again. <laughs> so it's a very familiar text that people outside of the church knows, uh, as well as the people inside of the church knows. But our pastor just came out of a, of a series uh, before this one talking about this very text. But we're going to pull some stuff uh, out of this that I hope uh, that God ministers to your heart and you be able to see something that uh, he was showing me over the past few weeks uh, in this text. And, you know, as you know, we are in the flip-flop series. Uh, one of the biggest trends here in America is flipping houses. We had the opportunity, me and my wife had the opportunity to flip a house um, about four years ago, and I will never, <laughs> never say never, I will never, <laughs> if it's up to me. <laughs> do that again. Uh, you know, we, we, you know, having the background that I have and, and uh, this, this nation that we live in today, the, the society that we live in, we are a YouTube nation. If you don't know something, what do they say? Go to YouTube. If you don't know something, go to YouTube. 
So, you know, everything that we did in that house, uh, we replaced the roof, we replaced the, the, the siding, we, replaced, we actually redesigned the whole inside of the house. And, and uh, so all of that took about, uh, well, it's still going on now. But anyway, <laughs> um, there's a, a major stuff that goes on. One of the things that really stuck out to me uh, was we had big holes in the roof uh, and where rain was just coming in. This house sat empty for a good two years. And, you know, over time, it, and I want you to understand this, over time when a house is not being used, it just wears down. It can be in the best neighborhood in the world. But if it's not been used, it just wears down. How many of us are not using it? If it's not been used, it's going to get wore down. Specifically, your soul will get wore down. That's the bread that we have. But I remember uh, the, the roofers came out to do the roof, and of course they had to rip everything out. Everything out. And uh, what we found was there was mold. And the thing about mold is it starts small, but it spreads quick. And it's nasty, and you don't want to breathe. It's real toxic to you physically. Uh, and let's think about that from our, our spiritual life. Uh, if we got holes in our life where we don't have the covering of, of God upon our life, there's mold that can set in. There's things in your life that can just grow rapidly, and before you know it, it may start off as watching uh, little YouTube videos or, or, or movies that, that are, 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 are a little iffy, for, for a, better, a better word, but before you know it, you're watching porn. Come on. There's an addiction that can take place just by letting something like that sneak in so that mold can come in and spread. It can spread out on you. But uh, the purpose of this series is definitely we want to be able to move from knowledge, basically theology, to a place of authority. Now, you can come to me now and ask me anything about plumbing. I can probably tell you because I've been through it. I know it. You can tell me how to rewire. I can tell you how to rewire a house because I have experience in that. I have the authority on it to say, no, you do it this way and not that way. That's where we want you to get in the spiritual realm is when you see a, sis, a, 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 a person or a situation where they're, they're, they're in a major flop, God has given you the authority to come in and flip that situation, to really turn it, over, to turn it right side up so they can be able to see what God has for you. So in this area, we, we talk about the, the, the flop of this particular, uh, um, as we know that this wedding was in, in Cana, they ran out of wine. So we're going to go ahead and read that text real quick. John 2, verse 1 through, 1 through 8, it says, On the third day a wedding took place at Canaan, Galilee. Now I want you to look at that. It's, the Bible specifically puts things in place that I want you guys to really get keen on. Why in the world would he mention the third day? Again, granted, this was before Jesus was resurrected. We all know what happened on the third day. At least right now, we know. But I want you to really look at that. In the Jewish culture, they look at that third day as being double blessed. In the time of creation, when God created the heavens and earth, when he took those six days to make the creation, on the third day was the only day that he had said, it is good twice. Out of all creation. So the Jewish culture looked at that and said, we want to have weddings on Tuesdays or the third day of the week because we want to be double blessed in our marriage. We want God in our marriage first as we're moving forward. So on the third day, a wedding took place in Cana in Galilee. 
Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no wine. Verse number four, woman, let's hold it right there. <laughs> Only the son of God. Only the son of God. Listen to me, kids. <laughs> Only the son of God can call his mom woman. <laughs> but, now let me get you here. We're thinking on a Western, our Western culture of thinking here, but I want you to understand this. The, the meaning behind that term woman, it's also the same word that is used when Jesus was on the cross and he said, woman, behold your son. Now I want to tell you what that meaning is on that word. That word woman means rise up. Be all that God has called you to be. I love this part. It says to step on the stage. So no matter what you're going through in this room, ladies, no matter what fight that you're dealing with, no matter what you're dealing with, with a man, with, a, with your kids, with your job, I'm here to tell you what Jesus is saying. Woman, 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 rise up and step on the stage. God is calling you for something better than what you're accepting. God is calling you for something bigger than what you, you have for yourself. And I want to tell you, woman, rise up. He is calling you. So it says, Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. I want y'all to remember that. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them in the, to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So I want you to understand in this, the, the flop in this situation was there was no more wine at this wedding. This again is a huge, uh, huge faux pas in the Jewish culture. No one, no one wants to, to be embarrassed or to run out of wine at a wedding ceremony. So it says at a wedding during this time, the groom makes a marriage contract with the bride's family. What this means is that the groom has went into agreement to say that I will take care of your daughter for the rest of her life. I will provide for her. I will hold her when she's crying. I will be the man uh, in her life to give her everything that she needs. And you screw up the first week. <laughs> you run out of wine. You run out of wine. I want you to really take, take hold of this here, is in this culture, by running out of wine, it's a huge, massive embarrassment to your family. It's what you're saying is, I will take care of her, but I can't even provide enough wine in this situation. Now, we don't know everything that went on here. We don't know if there was more people that was invited to this wedding than, than, or more people came to this wedding than invited. We don't know any of that. All we know in this text is they ran out of wine. So Jesus says, this is not my concern. Why are you concerning me with this? Jesus' response is right to the point, don't involve me. Look at Jesus. Looking at Jesus seems to not care about the situation or do he? You know, I find it very interesting that Mary came to Jesus. It said Mary was there and Jesus and his disciples were invited. You know, we wonder, was Mary... Uh, kin to these people, were they relatives or anything like that? Why did she take it upon herself 
to come and let Jesus know that there was no more wine. I truly believe that she was, there was a, a, a relation to, to, to the family in, in a big way, that she was there and, and being involved with that. And the thing that re, that's really important that I want you to understand is Mary didn't want disgrace to come on her own family. She didn't want them to think, okay, well, they're part of them. They are, are, are disgraced. They, 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 they can't do what they need to do. And imagine down the road when they, they look at Jesus and say, hey, he was that family that was at that wedding. We don't know what was going on in that situation, but Mary was desperate. She was desperate. She didn't have nowhere else to go. They were in the middle of nowhere. It would take someone a long time to go get wine and come back. She was desperate. Now, I want us all in here to understand this. We don't knock, don't knock Mary for being desperate. Don't knock her at all for being desperate because we've all been in that situation of desperate. Des uh, you know, many of us only wait to a place of total desperation before we call on the name of Jesus. Oh, Jesus, they're coming to get the car. Oh, Jesus, they, they foreclosed on our house. Oh, Jesus, I'm getting fired today. Oh, Jesus, this and oh, Jesus, that. But how long did you wait for that stuff to fester and become infected before you called on his name? That's the difference that Jesus says, I want to be the first. I want you to call on me first. I want you to use my name because the word says demons tremble at the sound of his name. Demons tremble. They must flee at his name. But we wait till we're at the last moment. We are drowning. We're putting the fingers up in the water. I'm done. We wait till the last moment before we call on the name of Jesus. And I want you to look at this. Webster describes uh, desperation uh, as, as a state of despair, typically one which results in rash or extreme behavior. How many of us, and I know we all have, have that friend, that family member, hey, uh, man, can I get 200 bucks by to next Friday? You know, there's nothing wrong with helping family. There's nothing wrong with going for help. But in my case, a lot of times I would say, why didn't you come a lot sooner? We don't have to be in this position to where I give you some money and the results are still going to happen the way they're going to happen anyway. When do we get with Jesus and say, Lord, you say, come to you with everything. You will give my heart's desire. Oh, we start quoting scriptures like, like, like we're a theology expert then. You know, but you're in a place of desperation, and then you want to call on the name of Jesus when it's already done. But I come to tell you this morning that he still is there for you. He's still waiting with his arms wide open. Even though it's a place of desperation, even though you feel there is no more hope, He's still there to say, hey, let's get through this together. How can we bless and learn and get authority out of this situation as we're moving forward? Amen? So the real concern here, it says, in our Western culture, weddings, <laughs> weddings have been made to glorify the bride. No offense to any ladies in the room, what I'm about to say in the next few sentences. <laughs> 
But we've made to, to glorify the bride here. We have shows like Bridezilla, Say Yes to the Dress, Bride by Design, Bride Prejudice, uh, Here Comes the Bride, etc. on, on, and on, and on. So those of you who have been married, and, and, and you know, a groom, a groom has one purpose, one thing on a wedding day, show up. Show up. You know, and the funny thing is, we don't even get to keep the suit that we get married in. We got to return that thing within seven days or they're going to charge us. So we're out of the suit and we're out of money. But look at, look at where the Jewish people got the whole line of, of life and the whole line of things with a wedding ceremony. It says that uh, um, the groom would make a contract with the parents of the bride and pay a dowry. The groom would then leave for about a year to go and prepare a home for the bride. Then the groom will come back for his bride at about midnight for a wedding party that will last about 10 days. How does that sound? Does it sound familiar to you at all? Let's look at this first one. It says the, broom, the groom will make a, a contract with the parents. Jesus died on the cross for us. He paid the ultimate price. He shed his blood for each and every one of us that's in this room. That is a price that he paid and gave to his father for us. Then it says he will go away for about a year and prepare a place for you. Jesus told his disciples, I am leaving to go and prepare a place for you. Then he says that, he, that the groom will come back at about midnight with a, with a party, with, a, with, with his family members, coming back to celebrate the opportunity to marry his bride. Jesus says, I will come back. And one of his parables says, come back like a thief in the night. No one will expect it. Does that sound familiar to you? That's how the Jewish people ce celebrate their weddings. So this is not Jesus' wedding is what I'm saying here. John 2, 4 says, my hour, and I told you guys to remember this, my hour has not yet come. The significance of this is huge. Look at the miracle that took place. There were six stone jars available. The significance of six is the number of man. On the sixth day, God created man. That's really, really important for you to, you to catch that. There were six stone jars there. And that stone jar, just like Pastor Joe said in his message last week, where Jesus said, well, I'm sorry, not Jesus, in Ezekiel it says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. From you, your heart of stone, and give you a heart of flesh. Jesus wants to give us life again through this. He wants to turn the heart, that stone that we have. Over time, when man was created, the whole purpose of man was to, to, to praise God and celebrate celebrate the creator but over time our hearts have turned to stone he wants to turn our heart back to flesh again truly wants to turn our heart back to flesh again so Jesus says my hour has not yet come here's the connection that we need to see that Jesus is preparing for his own wedding but it wasn't there in Cana but there's a correlation to it if you look at Mark 14 12 through 15 this is the New King James Version it says, now on the first day of unleavened bread, when they killed the Passover lamb, his di disciples said to him, where do you want us to go and prepare that you may eat the Passover? And he sent out two of his disciples and said to them, go into the city and a man will meet you carrying, watch this, a pitcher 
of water. Follow him. Wherever he goes in, say to the master of the house, the teacher says, where is the guest room which I may eat the Passover with my disciples? Then he will show you a large room furnished and prepared to make ready. So we talked a little bit about the six jars at the wedding in Cana, and Jesus had specifically said, my time is not yet. My time is not yet. Now I want you to understand something too. When he sent his disciples out to look for a guy carrying a pitcher of water, in that time, men didn't go out and carry, went, went and got water. They did not go out to get water. But I want you to look at the correlation of this. We have the six jars of water at the wedding in Cana, but then you look at the one pitcher of water and the response that Jesus had for, for them to tell him is to say, the master's time is now. And that number six plus one is seven, which means the number of completion. And it's the number of completion. So the wedding in Cana had six stones. Here in this text, the disciples were to look for a man carrying a jar of water. I find it very interesting when I was reading this, and God really showed, showed me this, that uh, his time was not ready for, for the for him. He told them to go find a man carrying the seventh jar and to say, my time is now. My time is now. So the Passover is, is, is where the Jewish culture, they come in and celebrate. Uh, right now, they celebrate what Jesus did for them, did for us by dying on a cross. But I want you to understand the Passover was established well before Jesus, was, Jesus died on the cross. And this is where I want us to really get into what, what I want you to get out of today. There are four cups. The four cups, the Passover is what Israel celebrates to remember God bringing them out of captivity under the rule of Egypt and Pharaoh. We celebrate the Passover and communion today remembering what Jesus did in our place. So in Jewish culture, these four cups that the Jews used during the celebration of Passover is found to be four I will statements where God told the people of Israel, I will do something. I will do something. I will do something. And I'm going to show you this in the text. If you turn over to Exodus 6, verse 6 through 7, you will see these four I wills that these four cups are based on. It says, therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord. Now watch this. And I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm with the mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Very interesting with these four cups that the Jewish uh, people celebrate during the Passover time. This first cup is, norm is, is usually called the cup of sanctification. This is that first I will. I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. This is the first cup that we take when we accept Jesus into our life. When we say we're going to leave our old life behind and get into the newness that you have given us, this is the cup that we take. This is the cup that says, Jesus, I will follow you and lay down everything, everything that you've given me. You take an illustration of a hiking. I'm going to use hiking. I ain't been hiking in a, in a while. But um, <laughs> if you're lost while you're out hiking and you got people coming up by you and say, hey, can we help you? 
Can we help you get back? No, I'm good. I'll find my way. Next group comes. You need some help? No, I'm good. I will find my way. Finally, to the point where you at a position of total desperation, that next group comes by. Can we help you? Yes. And they say, follow me. And they take you back to safety. This is what Jesus is saying during that first cup. Follow me. Follow me. And I will show you newness of life. Follow me. And I will show you all that God has called you to be. This is where that first cup comes in at. This is the first cup again. All of us who have come to Christ, we have taken that first cup. The second cup is the cup of deliverance. And it says, I will rescue you from your... From so... Finally, really interesting, from the first cup, it says, I will deliver you out from under the yoke. In the second one, it says, I will rescue you from out of slavery. And this is, in this text, it's talking about freeing you from your mind. The things in your mind, your past sins, the things that you struggle with on a day-to-day basis, whether it is porn, whether it is alcoholism, whether it is some type of drug, whatever it may be, that you have accepted Jesus into your heart the way you have thought. But over here, you still deal with past sins. You still deal with the things of your life of old. And this is where the enemy traps so many believers that we think you can't be saved because of what you're doing over here, not what you did over there. You can't have new life because of what you're doing over here than what you're doing over there. But Jesus is saying this second cup is for you. It's for you to be able to take and have newness of life to go to the Father and say, I lift this cup to you, Father, because I struggle with these things. I struggle with these isms. I struggle not being a good husband. I struggle with all those things that are falling short of what you have called me to be, but I take this cup because I have faith that you're going to deliver me and free my mind, and free my mind. This third cup, it says the cup of redemption. Now, it says, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm, and with mighty acts of judgment. I look at this uh, kind of example I gave first service is when my daughter was young enough, we would go to Chuck E. Cheese and, and uh, have a little birthday party and a little good time at Chuck E. Cheese. But one of the things I loved about Chuck E. Cheese was playing those games. If any of you know me and how I am, I'm extremely competitive. I hate to lose. Can't stand it. I can't sleep when I lose. But walking around with my daughter, we'll go to play the little skeet ball game and, and, and do well in it, then we'll leave. I said, wait a minute, wait a minute. Go back and get that ticket, girl. We, we won. We need that. So after you're all done and everything, you got all your tickets, you come up to that counter, you're all proud. Maybe I'm the one that's proud. But you're all proud. You throw those tickets up on that table and says, I want to take this and redeem it for that. I want to take that home. You can have this, but I want to take that home. That is what Jesus is doing for us right now. He went to the cross, and I want you to understand, I I said four cups. I want you to remember something that Jesus said in the Garden of Gethsemane. He says, Father, take this cup away from me. But he says, not my will, but your will. So on that cup of sanctification, he took that and says, I want to redeem you. I got something better for you. Take these worthless tickets. Take this soul that everybody deemed worthless. Take this soul that everybody deemed useless. 
Take this person right here that feels like they have nothing to offer. The Father, I give it to you because they're worth so much more. They're worth me dying on the cross and shedding my blood. That's what the cup of redemption is all about. So it says, I we see with the children of Israel, God was not only interested in saving them and delivering them from slavery, but he was also had a plan for them. He wanted to redeem their past suffering. You know, the funny thing about the children of Israel is when they were freed out of, of Egypt, they wandered, wandered the desert for 40 years. 40 years. And the reason for that is because even though they were outside of Egypt from under Pharaoh's rule, they were still captive in their mind it's of slavery. They were still thinking like a slave and not like a free person. They were still thinking that I can't do this without somebody telling me to do this. I want you to understand that there's so much stuff that the enemy wants to try to throw in your face to say, no, you're still over here. You're not here. You're not free. And God wants you to take that third cup and say, I am free by faith. You have set me free. You have made me whole. This is why here at the Way Bible Church, we have freedom ministry. This is why we have group life. It's because you need people of like faith around you to help you get past those things, to make you whole, get you from a place of the deliverance to a place of wholeness. And that's what we're going to the next cup is the cup of praise. Amen. The cup of praise. This is the last cup, and it's very interesting on this last cup. In the Jewish culture, a lot of the Jews do not take this cup. They, 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 they don't take this cup because this is a cup to celebrate. This is a cup of praise. Even Jesus said uh, in, in Matthew 26, 29, he says, I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. That fourth cup is amazing. That fourth cup is what we get to do when we celebrate with him. When he present us as the bride of the, of the church, the bride, the church spotless without a wrinkle. So what does this, this mean with all this, 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 this cup, the marriage in Cana? What does all this mean? This is the marriage flop I want to tell you about. The last cup is one that we miss so many times. We're so caught up between cup number one and cup number two. And, 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 and we know we have been saved. But it's hard for us to understand that we can let our past life go because he has redeemed us. He has delivered us. He is trying to change our mindset. So we got the marriage in Cana, and we have the Last Supper with the four cups of promises that God made, but where's the flip? What does this, how does all this tie in together? Well, I'm going to read something out of Revelation 19, verses 1 through 8, and this is a celebration. This is what John saw, what God showed him in the last days, so what will happen, and I want you to catch hold of this. I read, I, I quote a lot part of this, this, this scripture that says the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. But I want you to look ahead. Uh, these verses come before that, that particular verse. This is Revelation 19, 1 through 8. And this is out of the Passions Version. After this, I heard what seemed to be a roar of a great multitude of voices saying, 
Hallelujah. Salvation and glory and power to our God. All his judgments are right and true, for he has judged the great prostitute with corrupt, corrupted, who have corrupted the earth with her sexual immortality. He has avenged on her the And again, we showed, hallelujah, the smoke from her destruction goes up forever and ever. The 24 elders and the four living creatures fell face down, worshiped God, who sits on the throne, saying in agreement, amen, hallelujah. Then a voice came from the throne saying, praise our God and you his loving servants and all who reverence and honor him. Those who are lowly and those who are great. Then I heard what seemed to be a thunderous voice of a great multitude, like the sound of a massive waterfall and mighty pails of thunder crying out, hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt him and give him glory because the wedding celebration of the lamb has come and the bride has made herself ready. This is why we celebrate the marriage at Cana because Jesus was moving us from there to the marriage supper of the lamb. And I guarantee you when we get up there and see that the invitation is not going to say Jesus and the church. It's going to say the bride and the lamb. I want to see the lamb. I want to see the lamb. Man, I'm telling you, I'm, I get so excited when I start, when the Bible comes alive to me. Jesus wants to do so much, so much for you, so much for you. I don't know where you are in your walk. I don't know. I don't know if you're at cup number one. I don't know if you don't know, if you don't know Jesus today. For you to make that decision. We will miss everything if we didn't open that opportunity up to you. We have made it available. We have communion trays on each side of the worship center. We also have uh, our communion trays up here in the front. If you don't know Jesus as your personal savior today, I want you to be able to get up and be bold. Hey, TWBC, thank you so much for your support, your prayers, and reaching out and checking. Take it to either one of these ministers on the side over here. Have them walk you through a salvation prayer, the prayer of salvation. After you go through that, then you have the opportunity to take that first cup. Get that first cup. The second cup, if you're at a point of deliverance where you need your mind free, I'd like for you to be able to take that step of faith and just go get a cup. Tell the Father, I am lifting this up to you. Everything that I'm dealing with in my life, I'm lifting it up to you. All these isms that I'm dealing with, me not being a good father, me not being a good mother, me not being a good husband, whatever it may be, whatever the enemy is beating you up on, take it, take that second cup. You want that second cup. If you're past all that and you are at a place of total redemption, you're not sure what your worth is. You can't see what God has calling you and what other people have spoke into you. There's the cup of redemption. To truly see yourself what Jesus saw you. Everyone else saw you as rags and everyone else saw you as trash. Everyone else saw you as things that were not worth nothing. And he says you're worth way more than that. 
you worth me giving up heaven for you. You might be in that area. Then we're all in that, that fourth area. We want to celebrate with Jesus. We want to thank him for all that he's done in our lives. We want to thank him for being our brother. We want to thank him for being our savior. We want to thank him that he died on a cross for us and we can celebrate and we can say hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. You guys can go ahead and stand to your feet. I truly believe this is where Paul was really saying, examine yourself. Where are you? Where are you at? And I understand he was talking to, to, to a corrupt church at that time, but I want you guys to understand where you are. He's made himself available to each and every one of us. There are times I fall to where I'm, I'm back in that cup number two. But I thank God that we have the ability, we have the option, we have the, the, the authority to go to him and says, I'm giving this back to you. So whatever it may be, if you want to come up here and take communion uh, as normal, you can come through section one and two, but also uh, we want to make the other communion uh, stations available to you all over the worship center, as well as in the balcony. So Father, I thank you for today. Father, we glorify you. There's absolutely nothing that we can do to repay you back for what you did for us. But I thank you that you're not looking for a payback for us. You're looking for us to love you. You're looking for us to commune with you. And we say hallelujah. We say glory in the highest because you are worthy of it all. And we bless you today and we honor you in Jesus' name.